0: Etiquette. You guys know what etiquette is, right? It's that code of conduct that defines politeness or impoliteness. If you have proper etiquette, you will be polite. You're obeying that code of conduct that defines a polite person. If you go against proper etiquette, you're impolite, which means you're rude. Now, etiquette's really funny because it's so different across the globe. (laughs) Um... Improper etiquette is someone who imposes their cultural differences upon you. Alright, so if I go to Japan and I come to a Japanese man's house, they invite me over for dinner. And you guys know it's very very different. Actually, no, let's not do Japan because I don't know that much about Japan. Let's go to Thailand for a minute. Thailand. Now, you know, in Thailand, it's improper etiquette to shake someone or touch someone with your left hand the left hand is a dirty hand. It's the hand they use to clean the bathroom body parts with. And so if you touch on your left hand, it's very improper etiquette. If you don't know that, you could totally offend someone. Um, it's also not right to touch someone's head. Because the head to them is the most important part of the body, and it's bad luck, it's dangerous, it's totally offensive. Don't touch their head, even a little baby. Like, oh, he's so cute. No, don't do it. Like, refrain from (laughs) pinch-cheeking. Get out of pinch-cheek mode. Cheek pinch. (laughs) But now, how wrong would it be if I come to another culture's house, and they're the host, and I sit down and say, you know what? In America, we don't do things like this. So this is how we're going to do it. And I start to totally alter their etiquette, and I impose American culture upon them and say, Touch his head. Use your left hand. It's okay. No more chopsticks. Put them away. And use silverware. And, you know, we have all of our customs. And it's just not... On the flip side, what if an Easterner comes to your house and, as their custom is, they burp at the end of the meal. The louder, the more satisfied they are. Well, you come from a... Now, some of your homes, that's part of the etiquette. (laughs) It's not proper, but... um, But you know, and your dad always smacks you up the head when you burp at the table and fart and all that stuff. And um, but they come to the table and they just let it out. And (laughs) you know, you guys are probably a little shocked, like, "Whoa, that's not how we do things here." Like, it's kind of rude, but they think it's proper and polite. But it would be so wrong for him to say, "You guys need to burp." It's the way my country. No, you're in America, bud. But on the same token, if you're hosting someone of coming over. Shouldn't we be a little sensitive to their cultural needs? Um, for example, um, there are things in America that we consider completely normal and to us, I guess, delicacies. For example, marshmallows are considered detestable to many other countries. We don't think twice about it when we go have some s'mores. We love marshmallows. Actually, I once bought a bag just to eat them. <laughs> they have this cocoa and vanilla swirl one. It's kind of interesting. I, I had to try it because I was really hungry one day. And um, we do chubby bunny and stuff. But, man, that's gross to other countries. Believe it or not, corn on the cob is considered an animal's meal in places like Europe. But we do corn on the cob at Thanksgiving just for part of our food. And, and here's the one that kills me, pumpkin pie. I love pumpkin pie, but that's considered disdainful to other countries. Really, pumpkin pie? Yeah, it's a lot like if you go to another country whose delicacy is a snail. Some Americans would rather eat a rat's tail than a snail, and they think. See, the way they look at apple or uh, look at pumpkin pie and marshmallows and corn on the cob and hot dogs is the way we look at snails. Completely different. Is anyone right? Is anyone wrong? Huh? I mean. Kind <laughs> We think we're right. But see, it's so improper for us to go to another culture or have another culture come to us and say, Listen, bud, you're doing it wrong. No, we think we're doing it right, but they think they're doing it right. It's just etiquette. It's all just differences. For example, oh, one thing too. If you need to go to England, don't tell someone if you admire their jeans. Don't tell them they have nice pants. That'll be... You're basically saying, I really like your underwear. <laughs> Especially if you say that to a girl, like, what, what are you looking at? <laughs> they, call, they call your pants trousers. Your underwear is called pants. And also, what um, the, they call diapers is actually their napkin. And we call, of course, diapers something a lot more dirty. So, you know, you got to be careful with some of your words. It's just all cultural stuff. Well, believe it or not, Christians have etiquette. In a sense. There's a Christian etiquette that we're to have and the sum of it is don't impose your etiquette on other people. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you give us understanding to your word tonight and as we conclude this section of our liberty in you, um, continue to teach us how to run our liberty and how to be sensitive to the needs of others. So, Holy Spirit, it's our prayer that you show us from your very words, how to conduct ourselves as Christians and to be lights in the dark world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So tonight we conclude the three sections of our liberty. Romans 14 started with Paul saying that there's weak Christians, strong Christians, they have different standards is what this means, okay? Um, There's things in the Bible that are black and white don't have sex outside of marriage, can you date? <laughs> or, uh, do have sex inside marriage, don't have sex outside marriage? Those are two black and whites. But what about the middle ground? Can we date? Well, you guys have been familiar with us talking about this by now, but you'll have some people on one side say Christians really shouldn't date until they're of a certain age. It's just it's just too much danger. and They'll get dogmatic about it. They'll tell you, you're going to sin if you're holding a hand. or and they, I'm serious. Some people believe that kid is a sin because it's the first step to doing it. So they are very restrictive. But on the other side, you have people are saying, well, I mean, you know what? As long as you're not going to do anything too physical, it's quite okay to have a relationship with someone. It's, it's something that's gray in the Bible. It does not say, thou shalt not date or something like that. It's something that we are left to interpret. And so it's called a gray area in that one person stands for this, the other stands for that. Is any right or wrong? We can't prove that biblically. We just simply have different convictions, and we're to, supposed to learn to agree in our disagreements. Rather than dividing and saying, oh, they're not spiritual as I am because they do that and I do this. Paul just says, learn to agree to disagree. So chapter 14 said, don't judge each other in your liberty. You might have different standards, but don't be that judge. You see, Jesus is our doctor, he's our master, he's our judge. He gives us our prescription, he gives us our orders, he will conclude if we've done things right or wrong in the end. Therefore, agree to disagree. He's going to be the judge of that. Then, the second half of Romans 14, got into, okay, we have liberty, woo! Seek Jesus on what that is, but with your liberty comes liability responsibility. You're not just to say, I have liberty in Christ, I'm going to drink alcohol in front of struggling, recovering alcoholics. How stupid is that? You say, well, in Christ, I have liberty to drink wine with my dinner, when you're of age, okay? It's more like an adult example, but it will be very relevant when you get to that age. Um, Like, I like to have wine with my dinner, but what if you're eating dinner with a recovering alcoholic? Is it very liable, is it very responsible to have that wine in front of him? You have the freedom, but it's not right because we looked at how we have to conduct our liberty with love. We have to conduct it with the Holy Spirit. We have to see if it's going to grow us. And then lastly, we have to conduct it in faith. And if those four things work, it's probably safe to exercise your liberty. And we closed with this poem I want to read you again. It says, liberty says it's okay, but what does love say? Who might this stumble? Who might it offend? Lord, may I be humble and think of them. So we're to always think of each other in their growth of the Lord before we choose to exercise liberty in the gray areas. Alright? So now tonight, we look at the proper Christian etiquette in our liberty. Why is it that we have a tendency to want to impose our liberty on other people? Someone over there thinks that it's okay. They have no problem between them and the Lord to listen to certain selected secular music. But you, on the other hand, really can't tolerate that. It's not good for your walk. And you feel like you just should listen to worship music and Christian music. But why is it within us that... You have to start to think, well, they're not as spiritual as me. That's sin. And you have to start to judge and talk about it. And we almost, you know people that try to impose their standards upon you. You really shouldn't listen to that, brother. Well, what if it's okay between them and Jesus? But why is it that we feel like we have to impose our standards on each other? Why is that? Proper Christian etiquette does not impose these things on each other. We realize, like different cultures, we simply have different standards. However, before you guys take me the wrong way and say, Liberty, no one's to judge me, so I'm going to go watch porn on the internet. You can't judge me of liberty. Well, excuse me, you're actually obviously going to the black area of the Bible that says that's sin. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, then I'm going to watch R-rated movies with very seductive scenes. Liberty in Christ, brother. <laughs> well, you're forgetting, quite importantly, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. Where Paul cautions us saying, Hey Christian, all things are legal. Let me get there. It's has been taking me a while, sorry. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. Well, I'm gonna watch R rated movies. It's lawful liberty in Christ. But is it helpful? It's between you and the Lord. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Okay, I'm gonna waste my day in front of the tube and watch M T V. Well, okay. It's between you and God. You have liberty to do that. We're not to judge you. Is it helpful? I would say not. Watching half-naked women getting drunk and all these crazy party animals on TV all day. um, Is it going to build you up? Probably not. You've got liberty. Just say that you're not very wise. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, there's those things. Think about that kind of stuff. Now, again, maybe I shouldn't go too far and start imposing my standards on you guys, but I think that there's some areas where we just might take too much liberty. Be careful, Christian. But, so, there's that tendency. Why do we have to impose our liberty on each other? You shouldn't do that. You should be more free here. Hey, relax. You wouldn't go to Japan and tell them not to use chopsticks. Let it go. It's not a life and death issue. It's not a sin and righteousness issue. It's just our different walks with Jesus. So, Now he comes to conclude it all in chapter 15 verse 1. Says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves. We who are strong. Now, let me review real quick for you. Who's the strong and who's the weak? Just help me out, brother. Sorry. (laughs) Who's the strong and who's the weak? The strong Christian has weak standards. Meaning, he doesn't find it necessary to bind his walk with Jesus with a bunch of rules. Because his faith is strong. He knows that he just needs to follow Jesus every day and not really gird his way with, Okay, at this time I'm not going to look there. because You know, he's much more looser and free in Christ. Now, the weak brother has very strong standards. I'm not going to look at this. I'm not going to look at that. And and some of these things are good, but it's very restrictive and he really needs this because his faith is weak right now and and he's really trying to guard himself. And so Paul says, you who have a lot of liberty, you strong brothers, bear with the weak ones. Don't start to shove them around and say, liberty, come on, get with it. Maybe they're not ready. It's kind of like the two travelers who were out in the woods and upon their path, they stumbled in front of a bear. Ooh, a terrible bear was on its hind feet. It towered over them. It started roaring, and they, they were terrified. Well, one of the travelers scampered off and started climbing, scrawling up into a tree, and he thought he was safe, and he, and he jiggled up there and hid, and, and then the other one was not as, quite as fast, and he wasn't quite as athletic and couldn't climb the tree, so he, he decided to, I'm going to play dead, so he lays down dead on the ground. And the bear comes along, sniffing, <laughs> and he now he comes to the body on the ground. He sniffs it. He looks over it, and he decides it's just a dead corpse. So I'm going to move on. And so he moves on, and I'm terrified, just whoa! He, like wide-eyed, the guy comes down out of the tree and comes to his partner and says, oh, "What did the bear whisper to you when he's hovering over you?" And and the guy on the ground said. Oh, he told me, next time I go traveling, not to go with a friend who's going to abandon me the first minute of trial and tribulation. And, yeah, you know, that's so true. Paul says, hey, bear, get it, with the weaker brothers. Hang in with them. Don't just say, ah, sorry, sucker, I have liberty in Christ, I'm going to go do my thing, and you just, you know, don't follow me, or don't be stumbled by me, but you'll get there one day. Paul does the opposite. Don't please yourself. Please them. Bear with them. Don't abandon them. Hang in there with them. Help them through it. So in verse 2, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, this is from Psalm 69, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Now, he's quoting David and applying it to Jesus Christ. Jesus, while on the earth, walked in liberty. While the Pharisees had these strict restrictions on the Sabbath, Jesus said, Ah, no. I understand the purpose of the Sabbath. I have liberty. You see, and he would heal people on the Sabbath. Like that man with the withered hand in Matthew 12. as Jesus said, Stretch it out to me. In the synagogue on the Sabbath, the Pharisees huddled around and brooded and started thinking, ooh, if he does this, we're ready. We got him. And I think he's going to do. And the man with the withered hand stretches out his hand, and Jesus restores it as whole as the other. And everyone says, wow, oh my gosh, it's a miracle. But the Pharisees, I can't believe he worked on the Sabbath. And they said, and you know how that Jesus everywhere he went they were they were all around Jesus was going through the fields with his disciples and they were hungry but it was the sabbath day and they plucked some grains of corn and they ate it and what you had to do to eat the the wheat, the corn, if you had to kind of rub off the chaff so you have the kernels and then eat it, that was work. You were working for your food. And so the Pharisees pop up with their binoculars and all their faith, you know, camouflage out of the weeds and say, Aha! We knew you would do it! And he's like, I can't get away from you guys. But see, he always walked in liberty because he understood. The Pharisees were the weaker brethren. Really? Yeah, the people of Israel would have seen them. Wow, they're so spiritual. No, they're the weaker brethren. They had strong restrictions. They said, we don't want to break the Sabbath, so what we'll do is we'll put rules on the Sabbath. Kind of like Eve in the garden. God said, don't eat of the fruit of the tree. But Eve said to the serpent, oh, God said we can't touch the fruit of the tree. God didn't say that. He just said don't eat it. But Eve added to his rules. She made it more restrictive because she was a little weaker in the faith. And the Pharisees do the same thing. We don't want to break the Sabbath, so this is what we'll do. Rule after rule after rule. You can't walk more than 3,000 feet from your house. You can't kindle a fire. You can't do any work. If you are you know, got an injury and Jesus wants to heal you, sorry, it's going to be worse. And all these strict restrictions. Why? That's the whole point. They were weak. The weaker brothers. And Jesus demonstrated liberty. But... Their reproaches came upon Christ. And Christ tolerated it for us. And and, and Paul here says, hey, verse 2, let us please your neighbor. Build him up. It's not all about your liberty. Think about it. Are you going to stumble someone? We need some liability here. We need to please each other. What does it mean to please? Well, the Greek talks about accommodating. That's a lot more picturesque, isn't it? were to accommodate the weaker brethren. So if they're having trouble with what you're watching or what you're listening to, hey, is it worth stumbling them over? Christ died for them. You can get over it. Jesus took a lot of reproach from the Pharisees and from men. They crucified Him. He didn't please Himself. He lived to please us. And He took that reproach. Don't you think that we can just give up a liberty here and there for each other? He went to the cross for us. Jesus never lived to please himself. He lived to please people. When there were lepers, he didn't hesitate to touch them. When there were sinners, he didn't hesitate to eat in their houses. He didn't judge people. He, he was very liberated. And, and he walked to please others and never thinking of himself. Did one miracle ever benefit his status? His popularity? His flesh? Not a single one. And this is our example. In our liberties... Walk as Jesus walked. Jesus is our example. So verse 4. For whatever was written in former days, because he just quoted from the Psalms, so he's thinking about now the Old Testament. Whatever is written in former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Hey! You want to know how to walk in liberty? First, you said, Jesus is your example. Second, now, the Scriptures are your instruction. Jesus provided the example and the Scriptures will provide you... need you just turn it off or something. The Scriptures will provide you instruction. Think about it. Abraham and Lot. Well, in Genesis 13, they had a lot of stuff. And so they started to bicker and complain. And Abraham decided, you know what? It's not good that our servants are fighting with each other. The Canaanites are watching. So this is what we'll do. Lot, I'm going to pick the best of the land. You can just, you know, God gave me the promises. So uh, you can just pick whatever I don't pick. And I pick the best. Oh yeah, there it is. No, that's not what he did at all. Abraham demonstrated pleasing the weaker brother Lot. He said, Lot, take your lot. What what plot of land do you want? I want that one over there. Okay, have it. Abraham was willing to give up his rights and give it to the weaker brother. What about David and Jonathan? Well, David was anointed king, but Jonathan was heir of the throne. Yet how often we see Jonathan befriending David and helping David survive, knowing full well he was giving up his own throne and that David was the called one. He he, he gave up his rights. So here we have examples in the Scriptures. Jesus, our example, Scriptures instructing us, Hey... And just like Moses gave up the pleasures of Egypt to be with the people of Israel and to leave them out. So you guys, we can do this. We can give up some liberty to help another brother grow. We can please them. Proper Christian etiquette indeed. Verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus so that you may with one voice One voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ. So what happens is, the Scriptures encourage us. And they help us unite together as one. We might be so divided. (laughs) Remember the illustration of Charles Spurgeon and Joseph Parker, the two great preachers back in England, back in the day. They were divided over their issue. Well, smoking cigars is unspiritual. Going to theater is unspiritual, and there are disagreement got in the newspapers even. But we're to agree to disagree. But the scriptures help us. The scriptures help bring this unity as we come together and we're like, hmm. I don't necessarily agree with him. I don't necessarily agree with Jaden. But as we sit here and we listen to God's word, we both say, yeah. But we both agree on the word, and that's what's important. You see. We must keep the main thing, the main thing, and that's the main thing. Just keep Jesus the center in the middle, and we can all agree on the word. So let's be there and united in that. It's a. Um, I w- remember going to the symphony with Brittany um, a year ago. I like, I love the symphony. I know you, like rock concerts are exciting and all, but it's just something so pure and organic about the symphony to go every now and then. And we went and. In the very beginning, it's such an eerie, weird... I don't know if you've ever heard this. It's a weird sound. Everyone's just fiddling around on their violins and their oboes and their violas and whatever all those things are called. And they're all just... And the pianos and everything. Everyone's just kind of fiddling around practicing. And that clash of music is just such a weird sound. But then, when the conductor comes up, they stop. Everyone stands, everyone applauds, the conductor is there. And then he starts the music and all of a sudden, everyone is playing in unison. It's like one voice glorifying, well, sometimes it glorifies God, sometimes it's just glorifying music. But it's one voice, just beautiful, one harmonious sound. And you you, you can scratch your head and wonder, how are they so unified? There are like 50 pieces down there, like 12 violins. And they all have, like, one side, like, first violin, second violin. I hope I don't mess all this up. I'm in front of musicians, like, nerve-wracking. <laughs> but, like, all these different parts. And it's like, wow, they're all playing together. How do they sound so good? And then you see, on the music stand in front of them, sheet music. <coughs> and you say, ah, that is how this diversity, these different parts, can all come together and sound the same because they're following the same piece of composed music. Some guy wrote this for them and they're following the notes. And those these have a different role to play, these have a different sound. They're unified. Christian, the Bible is our songbook. You might have a standard here, a standard there, but as we go to the Bible, we all become unified. It's when we start to stray from the love of the scriptures. That we start to become our own scripture and we decide what's right and wrong. Why impose that on each other? The scriptures bring us the unity. And so, in verse 7, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ welcomed you for the glory of God. How did He welcome us? Just as we are. Just as we are. Welcome each other in the same way. Don't try to fix each other then I'll accept you. No, just as you are. Let love just change people. Let them grow in Christ. Let Him be their doctor, their master, their judge. Accept Him as Christ accepted Him. So now verse 8 through 13, which is where we'll stop, is um, explaining how Christ accepted us. So verse 8 says, I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. Remember, circumcised are Jews. To show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. God sent Christ to be a servant to the Jew. Why? It said for two reasons. First, to fulfill the promises of the patriarchs. He promised Abraham, Hey, from your seed is going to come the Messiah to bless you and the world And he promised that to David and numerous promises in the Old Testament. Jesus came to the Jews and taught amongst the Jews and shared with the Jews to fulfill those promises. But secondly, to show mercy to the Gentiles that they might glorify God. How did he come to us? He came to us first through the Gentiles, or excuse me, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, us. You see, the Jews were the chosen people. They were the insiders. He came to them. But we on the outside, Christ then reached out to us. In the same manner is the point. That as we have insiders and the spiritual and the strong, even in this group and in every other church group, there are outsiders. People that we might judge and think less spiritual. But Christ received us outsiders. So shouldn't we in the same way welcome them? Oh, but Jews and Gentiles have cultural differences, Brandon. The Jews can't eat pork. Gentiles love pork. (laughs) You go down the list with all those things. Hey, you know what? Those cultural differences are gray areas, right? It's like etiquette. We're not to impose that on each other. We're just to embrace each other. Let Jesus be the middle bond. And so here are some of the verses explaining this. Verse 9 continues that as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name that's from David in the Psalms verse 10, again it is said from this time Moses in Deuteronomy rejoice O Gentiles with his people the Jews, verse 11 again from David the Psalms, praise the Lord all you Gentiles and let all the people extol him now verse 12 again Isaiah says the root of Jesse, that's David, will come. Now, um, the root of Jesse is David, but Jesus is considered the root of Jesse because Jesus was from David's line, right? So, whenever you read root of Jesse, uh, son of David, those are messianic names, meaning they refer to Jesus. So, the root of Jesse, Jesus will come, even he who arises to rule, who? Yes, the Gentiles. In Jesus will the Gentiles hope. So, he's using different parts of the Old Testament to show God worked from the inside to the outside. Not just the Jews is an exclusive group, but he reached out to the Gentiles that had completely different etiquette, different culture, different standards. And it's proven when the church started to commence, it started with the Jews, right, on the day of Pentecost. But then it spread outside of Jerusalem and Gentiles started to get saved. So, when you come to Acts 15, there's an issue. Jews who circumcised themselves looked at the uncircumcised Gentiles and said, wait a minute, we have an issue. Can you be uncircumcised and be saved? Oh, and the church debated and they wondered and they mused and they hummed and they thought about it. And finally they brought it to James, to Peter, to Paul. All of the apostles got together and they thought about it and said, you know what, according to the grace of God, You don't earn salvation. So therefore we conclude you don't have to be circumcised. Whoa. Right there, liberty was unleashed. The Gentile believer said we don't have to become Jews to be saved. Yeah. Just as you are, come. Jews and Gentiles. You see? The two become one new person called the church. Now the church. So these cultural differences, Jesus did away with them. Just bring them all together. So why then do we look upon each other and our standards and those differences and say, ah, we can't associate, or ah, I don't agree with you, I'm just not going to talk to you. Hey, the Word of God is our music sheet. Let us be an orchestra together and glorify God. It's in unity that the world sees Christ. Really? Really? I thought it was in our witnessing and in our you know, street witnessing and in our singing glorious worship songs. They come and they hear and they, oh God must be great. It's in the preaching of the Bible. That's where people get saved. Yeah, yeah, those things are good. But do you know that Jesus said to his disciples, I have a new commandment for you. Love one another. Just as I have loved you. By this, the world will know that you're my disciples. You and here, hear Peter. By what again? By, by your love for one another. By that, they will know. Oh, so more than our beautiful worship, more than our great dynamic preaching, more than our street witnessing, more than our programs and our youth groups and our activities, more than all of that, what the world recognizes is our love for one another. And if the Jews and Gentiles can be reconciled in Jesus Christ, you and I can be reconciled. We can lay our standards aside. We can lay our etiquettes, if you will, aside. Cultures can come together. And Christian etiquette can come together and say, ah, you know what? We don't see the same way on music. We don't see the same way on dating. Uh, we have different thoughts about smoking. And all of the things you can go down the line, bikinis and Halloween, and remember all that list we talked about two weeks ago. All of these issues, you know, we may not see the same way. But proper Christian etiquette tries to be hospitable, and it tries to make each other comfortable. We don't impose our culture on other people. So why should we as Christians? You see, if you look at verses one, two and three, there's this common word in there: who, ye, we, who are weak, uh, we who are strong have an obligation to bear at the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please. His neighbor. Verse 3. For Christ did not please Himself. Is that not what they teach us in American etiquette? What do you say, darling, as the mom instructs her kid? Please. We always teach each other the word please. It's proper etiquette in America. It's not any different in Christian etiquette. Please. Yes, please each other. Look at verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another. That word is used um, in other contexts to mean bring someone into your house, to be hospitable. Welcome them, receive them. Make them feel comfortable as strangers. Hey, Christian etiquette, we're to receive each other just as we are. Please them. You see, Christian liberty says, you know what, I have my rights, but I will never let it stumble a brother. And we might disagree, but we're going to agree. Christian etiquette never imposes its standards upon others. So why do we judge? See, Paul just concluding it all. Why do we judge? Jesus is our doctor. He's our master. He's our judge. Why are we going to try to take liberty that's going to make another brother sin and stumble? Like the bear. I'm getting out of here. (laughs) Sucker. (laughs) Let you deal with it. No, no, we're to bear with each other. Control your liberty with love, the Holy Spirit. Does it grow each other in the faith? You know, when, when, if you're in doubt, throw it out. So these different standards, imagine how ridiculous to go to someone... And just tell them what their country does wrong in their culture, and you guys need to be more American. And no, Paul says, welcome them. You know, I mean, Americans are the most inhospitable people in the world. You know that? You know why? Because we're not sensitive to cultural needs. We think everyone wants to be like us, so we make them be like us. We have the worst. You know, you go to another country, they try their best to bend over backwards to make you comfortable. You know, they they try to make things more American for you, but there's some things they just don't understand. To them, cow brains is a wonderful delicacy, so they serve it to you. They're not trying to offend you. They're they're trying to welcome you. They think it's a great meal. Here, have it. They're like trying to bless you. (laughs) Hey, we're to welcome each other in the same way. You know, we may have different standards, but let these things not get in the way. Be pleasing to each other. Accommodating. Just like a host. Oh, that doesn't make you comfortable? Okay, that's fine. I can accommodate for your needs. So that's how Paul concludes this. Just guys, have Christian etiquette. Be polite to one another. Don't stand and storm into someone's standards and say, this needs to change. (laughs) No. Bear with one another. Welcome them. And that, that will promote our unity. To to close with the words of St. Augustine we opened up with two studies ago, it is... In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all else, charity. The important things we must agree on. The gray areas, hey, liberty. And with that liberty, let there be charity. Lord, we pray that you give unto us a Christian etiquette. That we are polite unto other believers with different views than us. That we don't hold up a Bible and pound it over each other's heads and say, Well, I'm more spiritual than you because... Oh God, if we ever say that, we have become way too proud. And may we not forget Jesus, our example, who went to the cross in the most humble way as a servant. He who served us, who lived to please man. May we become people like that. Humble us, Lord. Give us that etiquette. God, may the scriptures instruct us every day. May they empower us and encourage us. May it be our song sheet that as we come together in the Word, God, that we would bring a beautiful, harmonious melody amongst our lives as a witness to You. And Jesus, as You cared enough for us, You reached out to us outsiders, And brought us into the family of God, into the promises, into the chosen people. May we have the same view towards one another. To welcome each other. God, teach us this etiquette in this group and our other Christian friends. That we don't impose our rules, but we love one another and we bear with each other. So help us and humble us. In the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.